0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters, trying to get a beer before or after a Nats game and are unable to get the bartender's attention. Well, Walters has solved that problem and more. Welcome to Walters, where Walters 24-self pour beer wall awaits you. Ask your server for a beer card and hit the beer wall, pay by the ounce, and try a few suds before you settle on your favorite.
1: Follow us on Untapped to get notified of all the new beers we bring in.
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: 2 1. Swinging a long drive right field, down the line, toward the corner, and gone again. Off the facing of the second deck, number 27 for Schwarber, his fourth in two games. Phillies two, Nationals one. Nolas 2-1. Swing and a drive straight away center field and deep Herrera racing back toward the warning track at the wall he can't get it it's off the fence and in play Hernandez headed home Ruiz on his heels both are trying to score the throw to the plate one run is scored the second tumbles in Hernandez crosses so does Ruiz it's a two-run double for Luis Garcia and the Nationals are in front in the seventh inning three to two here's the pitch swing and a miss and a slider
4: he struck him out and a curly W Is in the books. The final
0: score the Nationals three, the Phillies two. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, July 7th, 2022, along with Massinsports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at the SIT, Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Well, what a difference a game can make. Uh, one night after arguably the Nationals' ugliest loss of the season, an 11 nothing loss at the Phillies, we got perhaps the Nationals' prettiest win of the season, a 3-2 win at the Phillies on Wednesday night. Who says the Nats don't win anymore? Uh, the Nats snapped a six-game losing streak. Who says that the Nats can't beat National League East teams this season? The Nats now are 7-29 and against National League East teams this season. Mark, it's amazing how baseball can work. And off some horrendous pitching on Tuesday night, we got some outstanding pitching on Wednesday night. This was a
1: lot of fun to watch. And it's not just that they got it, Al, but it's who they got it from. Josiah Gray striking out 11 over six innings. That was an outstanding performance from him. I think I would call it his best start in the big leagues. I know he didn't go as deep as he did you know, other times. Uh, I know he gave up the two homers to Kyle Schwarber, but everybody gives up two homers to Kyle Schwarber these days. And what impressed me most was I think 22 swings and misses, and 11 of them were off his fastball. We usually think of him as a breaking ball guy to get his outs. He was getting it with the fastball as well. So that was a complete performance from him. And it just left me thinking. I know fans, I know everybody watching the 7th, 8th, and ninth were just pleading for the bullpen to hang on, which they did. But I felt like even if they had blown it, even if they end up losing this game, as like demoralizing as that would feel in the moment, In the bigger picture, I would still have said this was a really good night for the Nationals because of what Josiah Gray did first and foremost and also what Luis Garcia did at the plate coming through with a clutch double. This was a good night for them. The fact that they then also won the game on top of all that, that just sweetens the deal to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could even throw K.B. Ruiz into the mix. He was a factor in this game. You got a very good outing from Kyle Finnegan. He was a factor in this game. So yeah, a lot of things came together for the Nats for this win. But there's no question, it starts with Josiah Gray, who pitched like an ace on Wednesday night. And he did this coming off one of his poor outings of the season. The last Josiah Gray start came at a 6-3 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park last Friday night. Six runs in five and two-thirds innings. He, in that game, gave up a whopping 10 hits. But something that we've noted about Josiah Gray this season is, okay, he has had some bad starts, But he has tended to follow up those bad starts with much better starts. And whereas last season, his season kind of unraveled for a while and it was one bad outing after another, this season, okay, he's had some hiccups. You know, it hasn't been perfectly linear, but when he struggles, he usually bounces back. And boy, did he bounce back on Wednesday night. And he bounced back against certainly a big boy team. You know, all due respect to Patrick Corbin. Josiah Gray on Wednesday night was not facing the Pittsburgh Pirates, was not facing the Miami Marlins. He was facing a good hitting team in the Philadelphia Phillies, and he ends up allowing two runs in six innings with 11 strikeouts versus a mere one walk and four hits. I mean, this was a dominant, again, ace-like performance by Josiah Gray. Uh, The four hits were two home runs and two singles. The two homers and one of the singles were by, yes, Kyle Schwarber, who it feels like no Nationals pitcher can get out right now, although they actually did get him out as the game went on. But 11 strikeouts, most ever for Josiah in a Major League regular season game. And when we talk about, well, what can Josiah Gray be? We saw the upside on Wednesday night, man. Again, that was a number one stud in a rotation who
1: was on display on Wednesday night. Right. And so even if he ultimately isn't an ace, a number one starter on a staff, because maybe he doesn't do that every single time out, you know that he has it in him. And that's a great sign. And it's not like this is the only time we've seen this. He had a couple of 10 strikeout games in his career, including ones against the Braves last year. Keep in mind, also, he just faced the Phillies a couple weeks ago and shut them out over six innings. That one was only four strikeouts, three walks, just one hit. But that's why I think this one was almost better. They've already had a look at him. You know, they have a sense of what he does. And he's able to not just have success again, but dominate in that manner. I mean, the middle of their lineup, he strikes out Derek Hall, JT Real Muto, three times a piece back to back, strikes out Nick Castellanos twice, strikes out Hoskins once. There was so much to like here about what he was doing, and I mean, it's almost like just like throw away the Schwarber at-bats because nobody can get him out, and the rest of the outing is almost flawless. The only other base runners were what? A single by Castellanos in the sixth, a walk by Hoskins in the fourth, and then an E3 when Odubel Herrera hit a little tapper to the mound that Josiah fielded through low to Josh Bell who couldn't make the catch, and that's an error. That was so good. It was pretty efficient from him as well. You saw the complete package there, and a guy who, yes, on his best days can pitch like an ace, and that's very encouraging.
0: 16 starts now for Josiah Gray this season. He has an ERA of 414. He has a strikeouts per nine innings of 10.24. So he is now up to averaging more than a strikeout per inning, which is just terrific. I mean, you love that. And, you know, we see so often, we've talked so often about guys who don't strike out guys and how they can struggle. And, you know, you fall victim to the variance of the batted ball and all that kind of a thing. With Josiah Gray, man, he's getting swings and misses and he's doing it pretty consistently this season. He's had a number of games this year in which he's averaged a strikeout per inning. He obviously did even better than that on Wednesday night. So can't say enough good things about Josiah Gray. It was great to see this. And, you know, We've also discussed how, okay, there's been more good than bad with Gray. And, and this is like one of those outings that really does reinforce that. It's not always great and we'll see what he ends up being, but we see that within him is greatness. Within him is that potential to be what the Nats are just starving for right now, which is a top of the rotation type guy. And maybe he can be that or at least a number two. So very encouraging. And again, I just go back to this of like, Tuesday night was so demoralizing for so many reasons, and it's almost like the baseball gods just when, when you need that helping hand, they extend that hand and they say, ah, don't give up just yet because we're going to give you something on Wednesday night that you're going to love. And like that juxtaposition of the the hideous nature of Tuesday night with how encouraging something like Wednesday night is, it it just it feels
1: good if you're a Nats fan. And it does remind you that as much as we want to believe otherwise, the axiom is true momentum in baseball is only as good as your next day's starting pitcher. And boy, was that the case in this one?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Josiah Gray was very good on Wednesday night and the Nats bullpen was very good on Wednesday night. We saw the A bullpen for the Nats on display and uh, the A bullpen earned an A plus with what it ended up doing. Carl Edwards Jr., Kyle Finnegan and Tanner Rainey. I mean, A to B to C, that's the way that it has basically sort of fallen into being here over these last few weeks with what the A bullpen has become. Uh, Tanner Rainey had not been good over his last two outings. Carl Edwards Jr. had not looked great here recently, but all three guys, Edwards, Finnegan, Rainey, delivered on Wednesday night. Edwards, a scoreless bottom of the seventh with two strikeouts. Finnegan, scoreless bottom of the eighth that included striking out Kyle Schwarber, swinging on four pitches for the first out. And Tanner Rainey, a perfect bottom of the ninth with two strikeouts. We didn't even get the requisite Tanner Rainey walk on Wednesday night. We got one, two, three. We got two strikeouts. Edwards, Finnegan, and Rainey combined for three scoreless innings with five strikeouts, so dominance from Gray and dominance from this Nats bullpen on
1: Wednesday night. We mentioned this the other night, and it finally happened. Tanner Rainey had a one-two-three inning for the first time since May 26th. He had 13 consecutive appearances that were not a full clean inning, and I will say he starts off the first battery faces three and zero. And I look up, and out in the Nats' bullpen, Steve Ciszek and Andres Machado are furiously warming up at that point, just in case. Thankfully, he got it back under control, strikes out Derek Hall, gets JT a real Muto to fly out. And then I love this 0-2, two outs in the ninth, a one-run game. Didi Gregorius hit the plate. You're thinking, okay, we've been here before, and he hasn't been able to put him away, and he ends up nibbling or whatever. He went right after him with an 0-2 slider, struck him out to end the game. No drama. He needed that. The team obviously needed that. But once again, I thought that Kyle Finnegan was the bigger deal. (laughs) And it's not to diminish what Rainey did, because it was really important for him and his confidence in the ninth. But Finnegan's the one who had to face Schwarber in the eighth and struck him out on a high fastball. And then after walking Hoskins, he's got to face Castellanos, and he gets a double playgrounder out of him. That was another big-time inning from Finnegan against big-time hitters. We've been saying all year long, That while he's not always consistent and the blowups are pretty bad, I feel like his best moments have been better than Rainey's best moments in large part because he's been able to blow away big time hitters that he's faced this year.
0: So had the Phillies batters who came up to bat in the eighth been due to bat in the ninth, do you think that we would have seen Finnegan in the ninth on Wednesday night?
1: I think probably so. The fact that they actually had Finnegan warming up in the seventh in case the lineup turned over, he, Schwarber was one batter away, he was going to come in to face him. So I think that was Davey saying, wherever those guys are, no matter what inning that is, I'm going to go with Finnegan because right now I believe in him the most. Now. This kind of wound up being the best of both worlds. Finnegan gets to face those hitters in the eighth. Rainey gets to still come in in the ninth and get a save and a lockdown and maybe a boost to his confidence. But yeah, I think if the situation was a little different, it would have been Finnegan in the ninth.
0: Yeah, well, Rainey certainly needed that outing on uh, Wednesday night. And Edwards needed his outing to a lesser degree. So good job all around. Really one of the best pitched games for the Nats this season. I know that the list of candidates for that honor, not exactly a mile long, but still really good pitching by the Nats
3: Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small-town charm and big-league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit bigtrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July. Here's the pitch. And he pushes a bunt third base side. It's a foul ball. So Soto trying to bunt his way on, and the crowd is booing. It's a nothing-nothing game in the fourth inning. Is there some unwritten rule that
0: you can't bunt in a no-hitter? I think Nola hasn't allowed a hit yet. so that's, It's the yeah. fourth inning. Offensively for the Nats on Wednesday night. So the Nats got back Juan Soto in their starting lineup. Uh, Soto started the game for the first time in three games of having been dealing with left calf tightness. Now, he was an Nats starting DH in this game as opposed to being the Nats' starting right fielder, got on base three times, uh, two for three with two singles and a walk. Top of the first, a one-out five-pitch walk. Uh, He and the Nats, one-run fourth, had a one-out full-count single to center field. Top of the eighth had a two-out first-pitch single up the middle. I got to ask you about what happened with this single in the fourth inning. So like I said, one-out full-count single to center field concluded quite the eventful plate appearance in which we had a foul bunt on the first pitch. So, For at least the third time this season, we had Juan Soto, at the very least, flirting with bunting in a plate appearance. And he's doing it here in this predicament in his first game back in terms of starting off a lower body injury, left calf tightness. Why? What? Where are we here with these bunt attempts by Juan Soto?
1: You're reading my mind in the moment, Al. That's exactly what I was thinking. Why, with a bad calf, are you going to try to test it and leg out a bunt? Now, the Phillies were giving it to him, of course. The left side of the infield was wide open, and he must have felt like, hey, here's an opportunity. But I felt the same way when Bryce Harper would do this. They never get him down to begin with. It's not like they're even good at the bunting part of it. So why waste a strike attempting to do something that you're not that good at to begin with? It all worked out in the end, but it was a curious decision given the state of his leg. And then the rest of that at-bat, this was like the most entertaining random fourth inning at-bat that ends in a single you'll ever see. So you have the bunt attempt. You also have a borderline pitch that's called a ball that probably was a strike. And then you have Soto calling for time clearly after Nola had begun his windup. It wasn't even close. And he steps out of the box and the plate umpire Bill Miller lets it go, which he has the right to do, and Nola drops a breaking ball right in over the plate, and Soto just stands there and watches it. Now that's strike two, so he's fouled off one for strike one, he's gifted them the second strike by just stepping out of the box, essentially, and then after all that, what's he do? Lines a single up the middle. That was such a great, dramatic Juan Soto at bat. I love that stuff. Maybe the process you know, was annoying in some ways, but the end result, you know, it, it worked in the end.
0: And then when he was on base... He dove back to second base and he was getting like annoyed. He was annoyed that he had to dive back to second because I guess because of the calf or he got all muddy, too, with the dirt. So I don't know. Maybe he was annoyed about that. But it was it was pretty funny watching him in that inning. So whatever the motivation, just stop bunting, please. Okay, like to me, once was enough. but This has come up now at least three times this season. You know, I don't know if Davey Martinez is not conveying the message strongly enough or if Juan just isn't listening to Davey. But, I mean, it's been pretty clear that Davey doesn't want Juan doing this. So, why do you keep doing this, dude? Like, you're not supposed to be bunting, okay? You play right into the opposing team's hands every time you try to bunt. But he did end up getting a single. So, I guess it did work out. Uh, No Nelson Cruz for the Nats in this game. He was out for a second consecutive game due to illness. Uh, Josh Bell had a second straight quiet game offensively. 0-4 left three men on base, but the Nats ended up winning the game. The big hit in the game coming from Luis Garcia. Uh, he continues to hit for the Nats. He had another multi-hit game on Wednesday night. Also got robbed of a stolen base. We'll get to that momentarily. But Luis Garcia in the Nats, two-run seventh, a one-out, two-run double to deep center field for a 3-2 Nats lead. Great piece of hitting by Garcia, but what you also had on this play was Cape Ruiz scoring the second run on the double and running straight through a clear stop sign that was put up by the Nats third base coach, Gary D. Sarcina. Gary must feel like I can't win. When I tell them to go, they end up being out. When I tell them to stop, they don't listen to me, and they end up being safe. I I can't win if I'm Gary D. Sarcina. I'm not sure that Kate Bert Ruiz should make a habit of doing that, but it did work out. The Nats scored two runs on that Luis Garcia double.
1: I think what it amounted to was Cabert just had his head down and was chugging along as hard as he could. And you saw he was pretty close, right behind Yadi He was on his tail. And he got there in the end. The reactions from everybody were fantastic because you have DeSarcina almost just standing there, like, what am I supposed to do with myself? And then Yadi crosses the plate. And now here comes Kabert and the uh, barrel roll slide. And I'm putting slide into uh, quotation marks here because. There was nothing about it that looked like a slide, but he got in in time <laughs> and it worked and everybody in the dugout enjoyed it. Sometimes you are rather be lucky than good, I guess. I suppose the other part of this is even though he is not your typical catcher and that he's younger and, you know, has some wheels to him, it's hard for a catcher to stop. <laughs> you know, once you get going, you can't stop. And he just kept going and he made it in the end and didn't cost him. If that ad cost them, we'd be having a different story here.
0: Yeah, that's not something you want to see happen often. I mean, you know, if you assume that the third base coach knows best, and if he doesn't, then that's a different conversation. But if you assume that he does, you really should be adhering to what he says. To say nothing of, I mean, it is kind of disrespectful. when. They, I mean, this wasn't like some late stop sign that Sarcina put up. Like, it was pretty clear, like, okay, dude, like, slow down, stop. And, and Ruiz is like, not nah, sorry, I'm not listening to you today. So we had that on the Luis Garcia two-run double in the seventh. And then in the top of the fifth, Luis Garcia, a leadoff opposite field single to left field to beat the shift on a one-two pitch. As once again, Luis Garcia with that vacant real estate near third base in a shift predicament goes the opposite way to get the hit. He's become so good at that. And then he gets thrown out on an attempted steal a second base on a strike him out, throw him out, double play Although Luis Garcia was safe, and that's not an opinion, that's really a statement of fact. Like you look at the replay, uh, certainly that Masson was showing, Garcia was safe, and yet for whatever reason, the replay challenge resulted in him still being out. I know replay isn't everyone's favorite thing. I am a fan of it. I think more often than not, it does end up getting calls right, but this was an instance of replay just getting something wrong. I'm not sure what happened here.
1: So. We're watching the uh, Phillies feed on NBC Sports Philadelphia in the press box. And I'm looking at it and saying, okay, I I think he's safe. But was I 100% convinced? I wasn't 100% convinced. I was about 99% convinced because it looked like the foot touches the base. But then there's a little extra after that that that's almost like maybe that first touch wasn't really actually touching it. And it was that last little bit. And that's right at the moment that they tag him. So – I'm honestly going to say I was not shocked that they said the call stood. I thought he was safe. Almost everybody thought he was safe. But as we've seen, unless it's 100% conclusive, they usually aren't going to call it. Now, maybe the replays, everybody back home in D.C., you thought it was conclusive. I thought it was almost conclusive, but not 100% conclusive. Either way, it's frustrating. It's annoying. It takes a long time to get something that we all thought That was one of those that you watch it live and you're surprised that they called him out to begin with. Okay, so those to me are the ones that clearly something was wrong and it should be overturned. They didn't see enough to overturn it. And that's uh, unfortunately, uh, I think, one of the faults of the system is that it requires a heavy burden of proof to overturn a call.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if. We were watching two different replays or not. What I saw in Masson seemed pretty clear that he was safe. So whatever the case, Nats win the game. Ends up not mattering. Luis Garcia continues to hit. You know, he's only drawn one walk. That is a bit of a problem here. He's got to draw more than one walk uh, over a month plus at the Major League level. But he's batting three twenty-five. He has a three thirty-three on base. He's slugging 468, 801 OPS. And he's had some big hits for the Nats. He had another one on Wednesday night. Uh, big game for Yadiel Hernandez. He was an Nats' cleanup banner. On Wednesday night with uh, Nelson Cruz out for a second straight game, and Yadier came through three for four with an RBI double, another double, and a single. Uh, so very good to see that from him. And uh, I mentioned Caper Ruiz earlier, so he had a single in this game, a one-out single on a blue pit to left field in that Nats two-run seventh. But he also threw out another runner on the base pads. He
4: kicks, the runner goes, the pitch is low, the throw on down. ...is in time for the outs. Strike three is called on Castellanos, and a good throw by Ruiz nails Schwarber at second for a strike-em-out, throw him out double play.
3: Ruiz threw before he knew it was strike three. Bill Miller asked Jeremy Riggs for the appeal. He said strike three, and so good job by Ruiz
0: not to assume that it was going to be ball four. Once again, we see the arm of K. Ruiz be a factor for the Nats.
1: And this has been a fun series to watch because we have the two best throwing catchers in baseball, statistically speaking this season in Ruiz and Real Muto, and they are going head-to-head, you know, tit-for-tat. They're both making perfect throws down there, and that was a big one, too, for Cabert because it's the first inning. Schwarber's already on base, and you're thinking, okay, we can't let them all of a sudden take an early lead on us again, and Josiah Gray bounces back from the leadoff single with back-to-back strikeouts. You get a perfect throw right on the money to get Schwarber so props to to Gray for being quick to the plate that's a big part of it as well but I mean think about over the last several weeks every throw from Ruiz even if it's a little late they are all on the money exactly where you want them to be on the proper side of the base they aren't high they aren't off to the shortstop side they are right on the money giving the middle infielders the perfect opportunity to put down the tags it's really impressive and I would say at this point, 84 games into the season, the two most encouraging developments of this season for the Nationals are, number one, Josiah Gray's pitching, and number two, Cabert Ruiz's defensive work. And that's an important thing to have happen this year, all of that, from two guys that you really want to see that from in their first full big league seasons.
0: Yeah, and two guys who obviously were acquired via the same trade, the trading away of Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Dodgers. Uh, in that deal that was finalized last July 31st. So yeah, you see those two guys doing well. You see those two guys do well uh, in a game like this one on Wednesday night. And it's it's interesting you bring up Josiah Grace delivery to the plate. I know that's something Davey Martinez had talked about recently, that Josiah was just a smidge too slow to the plate. And as we know, like these fractions of seconds make all the differences when you're trying to control Opposing teams running games, so you know I don't know if Josiah, in fact, shaved off the necessary fraction of a second to make things easier. But obviously, things worked out uh, with Ruiz throwing out Kyle Schwarber. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Get yourself some Window Nation windows and take advantage of a great offer at 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Beat the heat with Window Nation. Save $200 off any style new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2024. Yeah, 2024. Lower your energy bills and raise the value of your home with new energy efficient windows from Window Nation. Window Nation has installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes, with 96% of those homes needing no follow up service. And Window Nation windows are made right here locally in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. If your current windows are sticking, or are drafty, or are cracked, or are hard to open, or are locking when they close, you need new windows. Get yourself Window Nation windows, eight six six ninety nation or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent and ask for the deal. Save $200 off any style new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2024. eight six six ninety nation or windownation.com. That's eight six six ninety nation or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you.
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Toffee an open stance from the left side. The one, two is swung on and missed. And Cavalli picks
0: up his first strikeout of the ballgame, two up and two down. And Dustin Peterson is next. Well, that was a nasty changeup. Game three for the Nats at the Phillies is on Thursday afternoon at 4.05. And we finally have an answer to the question of who the Nats starting pitcher in this game will be. Yoan Adone will be the man. Uh, we have known for a while here the Nats uh, needed to figure something out with Jackson Tatro now on the 15-day injured list. And I guess by process of elimination, it came to be that it probably was going to be Johanna Done. So the Nats on June 8th optioned Adone to AAA Rochester. He got brought back up to be the Nats' 27th man for a doubleheader on June 17th in a game against the Philadelphia Phillies. He in that game allowed four runs in five innings. And so now he'll be back up on Thursday afternoon in yet another game against the Phillies. And I don't know if the Nats wanted to use a Doan, but again, I don't know that they had really any other realistic options here.
1: No, um, there was one other option we'll get to here in a moment that they perhaps could have considered, but I don't think that was the move they wanted to make. What's curious here, and it's unfortunate in a lot of ways, when they sent him down, like you said, a month ago, the idea was go down there, make some quality starts, work on your changeup, work on your fastball command, and then we're going to bring you back up and uh, see what you've learned. And circumstances have dictated that he was called up after one start down there and then sent down and then called up again after one start down there. And so it's not ideal in terms of he hasn't had the opportunity to work on things the way they've wanted him to. Now, his last start was good. At Rochester, he also then went on a little break, midseason break, like we saw them do with Cade Cavalli, Cole Henry and others. It was a design thing. He wasn't hurt. But now before he ever has a chance to come back and make another start for them, he's back in the big leagues facing the Phillies again. We'll see. You know, you're hoping for the best. But I think we all acknowledge from what we've seen of him this year, you don't really know what you're going to get. I would also say this does not necessarily mean that he is here again to stay There are some other options coming back fairly soon. They just aren't there yet. Anibal Sanchez, not ready yet. Josh Rogers, not ready yet. And Rogers got lit up in Harrisburg tonight. And that's two really subpar minor league rehab starts for him. That's a little bit of a concern. Sanchez was better in his last one. He's still building up. I know you're very excited for Anibal Sanchez to finally make his 2022 debut. So perhaps that's coming up soon. The only other possibility... And it would have been the big news-making possibility would have been Cade Cavalli. They could have done it. He was on schedule. He pitched Wednesday for Rochester. And, oh, by the way, he carried a perfect game into the sixth inning. Against Lehigh Valley, just up the road here from Philadelphia, against the Phillies' A team, he wound up going seven scoreless, struck out seven, only gave up two hits, only threw, I think, 76 pitches in what looks at least – from a distance without having seen it or talked to anybody yet looks like his best start as a professional. They could have made the move. I don't know that they wanted to do that to him and have him make his major league debut on the road against the Phillies. But the way that went and the way in the bigger picture he's been over the last couple of months does make me think we may be getting closer to that date now when they finally decide it is time to bring him up.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have not been able to sleep just with the anticipation that I have for Anibal Sanchez whenever he does pitch at the major <laughs> league level. So um, I, you know, I just can't wait till that happens. With Kay Cavalli, it is interesting. He did pitch on Wednesday night, like you said. He was excellent. Seven scoreless innings, seven strikeouts, no walks, gave up just two hits. He threw a lot of strikes, 74 pitches, 54 strikes versus 20 balls. I, I think it's just still kind of odd with Cavalli because so, this was only his second outing since an outing on June 16th. He had that break that you just referenced, and he still has not had this like run of excellence here that you're wanting for. He had a little bit of one a few weeks back now, but that's a while ago. And then he struggled once. He got off to a really bad start this season at Rochester. His overall numbers for the season at Rochester aren't that great. He has an ERA of 454, a whip of 120. Uh, He's averaging 9.09 strikeouts per nine innings. Now, I'm sure Mike Rizzo would say, look, it's not about the overall body of work this year. It's about kind of where he's at at that moment in time. But I would think, I mean, they've been this careful and conservative with him already. I would think they want to see like a run of three or four great starts, like what we saw on Wednesday night. They want to see that again and then one more time and then maybe one more time after that and then call him up. So, I don't know. I mean, I think for now they're kind of like, hey, let's go with a Don. I don't blame them for that. Like I said to you on a recent installment of the podcast, I think it is a little disappointing that Cavali's not already up at this point this season, especially given this team's pitching needs. But I do respect the fact that they're not letting their pitching situation at the major league level govern what they're doing with Cavali. And that would be a very easy thing to do because they don't have options. And You know, I I give them credit for they're figuring out other ways, even if that means basically punting on some games at the major league level. They're not forcing anything with Cavalli. And I think that's the kind of thing that could be rewarded with him being called up and then staying up at the major league level.
1: They're showing an incredible amount of patience here. And yeah, in some respects, you give them a lot of credit for that. I know as much as everybody wants to see it. I'm sure there's guys in that clubhouse that really want to see it as well. But they are sticking to it, and I don't know what the magic sequence is to make it happen. Does it have to be three good ones in a row? Does it have to be a month? Is this one dominant start enough to do it? I don't know. I'm just looking at the schedule coming up, and they face the Mariners at home next week. Uh, it's a quick two-game series. That you know, If you're trying to set up a home game against a lesser opponent, that would be one that would be more appealing than the other ones coming up, which are the Braves— then coming out of the break, you're on the road at Arizona at the Dodgers. You know, maybe it doesn't happen until the end of the month. Maybe it doesn't happen until early August. But if this one was enough of a head turner that they thought, hey, maybe let's go ahead and, and do it now. Next week against the Mariners would make some sense and he would be lined up for that. Not saying it's going to happen, but if they're going to do it before the All-Star break, that would be the time to do it. Not to wait and have them face the Braves instead.
0: That would make the most sense for sure. I mean, that that would make the most sense if they are going to try to do something like that. So we are back on Cade Cavalli-Watch, and he's going to make his Major League debut at some point this season. I think we all feel confident in saying that. It's just a matter of when, and uh, we shall see. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, hit up Tim Shover's. Again, the email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to site. That's site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast, and we leave you now with another look back at the month that changed everything for the Nats, July 2021, and we look back now at what happened on July 6th, 2021, uh, what was a 7-4 loss at the San Diego Padres. Uh, this was part of a four-game split for the Nats at the Padres. This road trip ended up being the final road trip for one Starlin Castro with the Nats, and it was in this game that we got an incident of Starling Castro being thrown out by quite a bit at home plate on uh, perhaps an ill-advised send by the Nats' then third base coach, Bob Senley-Henley. Gary DeSarcina told us to play this portion of the podcast from last year uh, right now. So, Gary, this one's for you. Enjoy this look back, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
4: Here's the pitch. Swing and a line drive. Deep left toward the corner and one hop into the corner. A fair ball. Castro heading for third. He's getting the green light. He's going to try and score. Here comes the throw to the plate. The tag by Caratini. And he is out. Bobby Henley sending Sterling Castro the relay from the left fielder. Jerickson Profar to the shortstop Fernando Tatis who has a cannon. And his one-hop throw is perfect.
0: Yeah. I mean, the send was uh, interesting. And, you know, watching Castro as you rounded third, Castro did the thing that you'll see people do sometimes when they're running. And it's usually not done by fast people where like they're waving their arms or their arms are kind of flailing in the air. And I don't know why that happens, but that's usually not a sign of like you're running particularly fast or that you're about to be safe. It's usually something like slower people do for whatever reason. And he ended up being out. Now, Castro did have another good night offensively, two for three with two singles and a walk. But him getting thrown out at home on that, Jan Gomes went out double in the top of the second and thrown out easily at home, one of a few outs that the Nats made on the base paths.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.